Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Good morning and welcome to Collective. If we've never met before, my name is Tyler and I have the privilege, privilege of leading alongside of my wife, Lee. Glad that you're with us. We've been in this series where we've been exploring Sabbath, but more than just exploring the theological idea or the concept of Sabbath, we want to integrate it into our life. The Sabbath is what's called a, a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice. And so the value of Sabbath is not in just understanding conceptually, oh yeah, that seems nice. The value is for us to begin to integrate it into our lives, to begin to actually shape and form our lives in the way of Jesus, not just the idea of Jesus, but the way of life that he invites us into. And I know that there's some of us in the room, some of us that, especially if we're in a co-group, which if you are, great job, that you're in a co-group and you're beginning to integrate it. And there's some things that you're trying that honestly are great, and then some that you're like, wow, this feels really clunky and awkward, and I'm just wondering, should I keep doing this? Am I a failure? Don't give up. The idea of a practice is that we aren't good at something the first time we do it. We practice it. We get better over time. But I also know that there's some of you in the room, you're my, my New Year's resolution crew, that are like, you know what, I'm going to do that in 2024. January 1st, that Sabbath thing. Yes, at some point I'll do that. And I want to challenge and encourage you, do it now. Don't wait for some magical, perfect moment that you integrate something that could actually impact your life. Do it now. I'd love for us each individually for you to consider, what does my Sabbath actually look like? We've shared that a Sabbath is a 24-hour period of time. And, and do you have a Sabbath? And if you do, what does it look like? Perhaps like most people, your Sabbath is on a Sunday. Maybe your Sunday is your day of Sabbath. And here's, here's what Sunday looks like for most, many, most modern Western Christians. On Saturday night, they stay up late. Maybe they watch some movies, say, binge some TV, maybe overeat, maybe snack away the night and sit there in a carb coma. Or maybe you go out and you celebrate with, with friends and maybe, just maybe, you overdrink, overindulge, and you find yourself, it's late at night, and then you go, oh, I need to get up for church. And so you rush in that morning to quickly get ready and out the door if you even go to church. Increasingly, more and more people see going to church as less important, and so they scale it back. But maybe you go to church, and you check the box, and you go, I, I did the thing I'm supposed to do. But while you're at church, you're thinking about your to-do list and all the things you need to do as soon as you leave. You're like, I've got errands to run. I need to go get groceries. And you get home and you start doing some meal prepping. And maybe you're thinking, you know what? I've got a busy week, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna get ready with some of my emails. I'm gonna just prepare myself. I'm gonna get ahead a little bit on Sunday. 
And then you do, 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 and then you find yourself eating a little bit more, and then it's the evening, and you're like, I'm just going to binge watch a little bit more TV, and then here comes Monday. And I just want to let you know, that's not Sabbath. And I I probably don't need to tell you that that is not life-giving. Like in terms of a rhythm, and, and I've been guilty of doing this, I cannot look at that when that is my rhythm and go, man, my life is so much better with this. Like I just love how I just... I'm just doing things all the time. And yeah, I try to sprinkle a little Sabbath in, but it's not actually what Sabbath is meant to be. And I want you to know that I'm not sharing that with any sort of judgment, like I'm looking down on you from on high going, I can't believe you guys would do that. Instead, what we want to do is we want to recognize how valuable this is and ensure that we aren't just talking about it, but actually doing it. And I want to point to you, and over the last few weeks, we've been able to do that, but I want to point to you the beauty and potential of Sabbath. I want you to understand that that if you actually live with this as part of your rhythm, you'll begin to live in the unhurried rhythms of the way of Jesus. And for so many of us that aren't doing that, we don't ever experience the life and life to full we were promised was going to be a reality. And so I want us to actually evaluate our lives and not just evaluate so that we can feel better because we evaluated, but evaluate so that we might make a change. What we settle for is often something less. There's a pastor who passed away maybe a couple years ago. He's the one that wrote the message. And so he took the Bible and he translated it into into more common language. Maybe you've read it. His name's Eugene Peterson. He's written a ton of books and he was a pastor. And he was talking about this kind of Sabbath that many of us have settled into. And and he, he says, he calls it the bastard Sabbath. Harsh words. Like he talks about this Sabbath that we settle for and he's saying this is this is not actually what God intended for us. And it reminds us that this idea is more shaped by our secular view, by our vision of our weekend or our day off than it is by the way of Jesus. I want to just remind you, because I think it's important to talk about what Sabbath is, but I also think it's important to talk about what Sabbath is not. I want to remind you that Sabbath is not I slept in a lot or a little bit, I read a little bit of Bible, maybe I prayed a bit, and then I started doing errands. I started doing work around the house. Maybe I I weeded the garden. Maybe I I went outside and, yeah, I kind of talked to a neighbor for a few minutes, but then I had other things that I needed to do. It's not about binge watching your favorite TV show. It's not about just lounging on the couch. Like, I know for some of us, we're like, I just need to rest, and resting means just vegging out. Have you ever noticed when you do that, you don't feel more energized after? And so that is not what Sabbath is. So how do we, how do we, how do we encourage and, and maybe protect our Sabbath from becoming this lesser version? How, how do we ensure that we don't actually settle for something lesser than? How do we prevent it from being just another activity we do on the weekend, another thing we check off the box that we go, well, I did my religious goods and duties and now I'm good? We've said it through this series that there are four movements to Sabbath. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. And today we're going to look at the one that I think has the potential to be the most important for us, and that is worship. We can stop. We can rest. We can delight. 
But if we miss out on worship, we miss the Sabbath. I want to pray for us, and then we'll dig in. God, I pray that in these moments that you speak, God, we need you. I need you. God, help us with all the, all the noise, all the stuff that's in our minds trying to distract us and get our attention. God, I pray that your still, small voice would somehow cut through all the noise and be louder. God, you see each one of us. You know each one of us and where we are. Help us, guide us, lead us. Help us to see your son, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to go back to the beginning, and we've revisited this multiple times in Genesis 2, verse 2 to 3. It says this, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, I want you to notice that there are two things, two primary things that God did on the Sabbath. One is that he blessed the seventh day. Now, this harkens back to what we talked about last week, this idea that God blesses the Sabbath, where you understand that the Sabbath is a day for joy and delight and happiness, that the Sabbath is a good day. It's not just something we do because we're supposed to. It's something that brings life to us. The Sabbath is a blessed day. It's a life-giving day where we are filled with life and we overflow with the life that God gives us. God blessed the seventh day, but he also declared it holy. He declared it holy. Now, we might hear that word, and when we hear, hear something as described as holy, we may have all sorts of connotations. It sounds like a religious word that we're not really sure. How do I reconcile that? What does that really mean? And, and we can have all sorts of things, but this word of holy, this idea and concept of holy is fascinating. It's especially fascinating when you understand the original time that, that, that all, of, all of what's happening, all of what we find in Scripture was actually happening, and you understand the, the circumstances around it with all the other religions and faith systems and understanding how different God was. Now, in ancient times, if you had an ancient God, an, an ancient God would inhabit, would inhabit a space. So you'd go to a special Mountain, or maybe you'd go to a temple and you'd experience this. You'd, you'd go on this journey and then you'd experience this ancient God in a specific place, or you'd go to a, a shrine and hope that you can somehow experience something. And so, God does it very differently. God is not a, about a holy space or place. What God actually does is, God creates a holy day. Now, this is significant, and when we understand it, it, it starts to open our eyes because you understand that God is not limited by a space. There's not just one space, and that's where God is. That God, the creator of the universe that has made all things and is in all things, is everywhere. And so he is not limited to one space. All space is his. And so instead, he creates margin in our time that he dedicates as holy, a holy day. There is nowhere that God is not. God is everywhere. This is a beautiful thing, and it stands in opposition to so many belief systems outside of ours. He makes a day holy. Well, what does that, what does that mean? What does it mean to make a day holy? The, the Hebrew word for holy is kadosh, and it means unique or special, 
or uncommon. And so in this case, from a theological perspective, we could define this holy day as a day that's set aside for God's special purposes. A day that is set aside for God's special purposes. And on one hand, holiness does, it, it has, carries with it a moral element. When we think about the things that are good and the things that are evil. And so we understand that it is about the things that are good, not the things that are evil. But it's so much more than that. If we understand that it's time that is set aside for God's special purposes. It's not just a, a, a day for rest or a day for celebration, but it is a day for God himself. Exodus 16 says this, Moses is speaking to the Israelites, and he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. This is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. So the people rested on the seventh day. Here we find a group of people that are concerned. What about my next day? What do I need? I need bread for each day. And God goes, I'm going to give you double so you can actually be present with me in the Sabbath. And they're like, no, we're going to stockpile this. But we see here at the very beginning where Moses is speaking and, and Moses is saying, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So notice that phrase, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. This could be translated as a, a day that is set apart for the Lord, a day that is dedicated for the Lord. The Sabbath is an entire day that is set aside for God. Put another way, it is a day for worship. Sabbath is a day for worship. Now, a lot of us, when we hear the word worship, we think about singing. And we're like, okay, singing, that's worship. And that is a, a way of worshiping, but worship is so much more. From a biblical perspective, to worship is to orient and reorient our heart toward God. It's for us to actually place everything in its rightful place, God at the very center, to center our entire lives around God, the creator of everything, at the center of our lives and the center of all reality. It's about us actually positioning ourselves differently to see him the way that we should. It means laying down our entire life so that we can experience the kind of love that he offers us and give it to others, share that with others, be a way that people might see God at work in us. Worship is also for us a way that we deepen our surrender. Here we go, I, I, I wanna hold on to this, but I'm gonna give you every single area and some areas that I struggle with. And as we worship, we continue to surrender to him more and more to his love and to his leading. And so, yes, one of the ways that we worship is through singing. We sing songs that have theological truths that align our hearts to God. And we go, this is who he is. This is who I am. And you sing it together and you're reminded that, that he is at work and what he says is true. And that is important. But there are so many other ways that we worship giving our time, giving financially, giving of our resources is worship. 
Focusing and refocusing our attention and our affection on God is worship. Yielding our will over to God is worship. Every single time that we say, not my will, but yours be done, it's an act of worship. Anything that we do that put God, puts God in his rightful place in our lives at the center is worship. And when we direct our heart to his love for his glory, we give our life back to him and people experience God through us. They see God at work in us. They see the creator of the universe in our lives that look different. And so Sabbath is a day where we stop, where we rest, and where we delight, where we refill our tank. It's a day where we celebrate. But Sabbath ultimately is a day for worship. It can't just be about more self-care for us. It can't just be about us disrupting patterns. It has to be about us disrupting the ultimate pattern that is thinking that we can somehow be God and instead reorient our lives completely to him. Sabbath is a day for worship. Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Sacred Rhythm, says this about Sabbath. I know what it's like to rest for hours until I have the energy to delight in something. Good food, a good book, a leisurely walk, a long-awaited conversation with someone I love. I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul, though, though I had thought it might never come again. I know what it's like to see my home and my children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. I know what it's like to have rest turned into delight and delight turned into gratitude and gratitude into worship. Sabbath is a day for Worship, And as we stop, as we rest, as we delight and we move ourselves into worship, we embrace Sabbath for what it can be. And for some of us, you have times through the week that you go, this is my set Sabbath. For many people, it's Sunday. The best day is to actually Sabbath on a Sunday. And for over a thousand years, Sabbath Sunday and Sunday worship were synonymous. They fit together. And you went, yeah, of course, I, I Sabbath and I worship. That's the piece. I need to put that together. But only recently we've separated that. And we might worship for a, a small period of time. But, and God, you can have an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday. But the rest of the time, it's, that's mine. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I look at that and go, I don't think we're better for that. That for some of us, we compartmentalize our lives to the place that we don't actually let God actually change all of us, just little sections. And it's tragic when you think about the way that Sabbath has been co-opted to move from a, a, a holy day of worship to just another day off. And you might even be wondering, there's people in the room that, that serve on a Sunday, and you go, what about that? Because I'm serving. Am I... Uh, am I supposed to just, is Sabbath just about receiving something for me? I want to remind you that as we serve, as we use our gifts for the sake of others, as we point others to the way of Jesus, that that is an act of worship. Because what it does, every time we serve, is we say, it's not just about me. It's about actually doing the will of God in every single moment. And so anytime that I can serve, whether it's on a Sunday or through the week, I do this to align my attention and focus my heart on what matters the most. And so as we serve, as we use our gifts, it is an act of worship. 
We do it all for God's glory. And so if you are making Sunday your Sabbath and you serve, serve as worship. Serve with everything that you have and invite God to change your life. The Sabbath is holy, but we have to keep it holy. In the Ten Commandments, it, 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 we read, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, it's interesting when you think about the Jewish people at the time. It's not practice the Sabbath. It's instead remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. They needed to keep the Sabbath, keep it holy. They call this sanctifying the day or setting apart the day. Treating the Sabbath day as special and unique. And we are faced with two options when it comes to Sabbath. You can hear me saying things and you can, some of it go, that sounds good. Some of it, like, you know, we're in 2023, dude. We don't, we can't do all of that. Have you seen how much I have to do? And we're faced with two options, and I want to be honest about that. We can choose to keep Sabbath holy and embark on this journey of embracing and carving out time to set aside, to stop, to rest, to delight and worship in God. Or we can do what the scriptures say is profaning, and we can profane this day that was meant to be a gift because we go, I think I know better than God. I think I have got this sorted out. You know what, God, I know you give this invitation for us to find life and life to the full, but you know what, I'll take it from here. And we end up treating it like it is something less. We devalue it and we just treat it like another day where we simply do what we please. And so which one do you want? Do you want to keep the Sabbath holy or do you want to profane it? And see, one of the things that's so interesting about our lives is we can know the right answer and live still differently. So you can go, oh, I want to keep it holy. And then I would go, so what are you doing about that? He'd go, well, in 2024, I'll definitely I'll keep it holy. Right now, I'm just, I'm working on some things. When I'm ready, then I'll be good. Can I just, can I just be really honest and say you will never be ready? Like there's a disruption with this. And on the flip side too, can I also be honest and say, I don't nail this every single week where I go, oh man, I'm, I'm the greatest. I Sabbath so well. There's times that I read other people's Sabbath and I'm like, man, mine is not that yet. Try Sabbathing with a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. Lee and I went out for supper on, on Friday and we had to do a bit of a different Sabbath this week, but we went out for supper and I was like, at first, I, I want to do something lighter before because I, to to, I wanted to go to Mustang Desserts where they have these lava cakes that are so good. And so, and so we went to this, the old bagel house, which let me just shout it out. If you, if you like bagels, you need to go there because they're wood-fired, they're smoky. Oh, they're really good. And so we went there, and you know, honestly, we go in and <laughs> park. I think, was it Parker or Ava? Was like, are we going to the old bagel house? Oh! <laughs> You're like... Listen, you little jerks, you better go in there and eat the food that we have. And, and then we go to Mustang Desserts, and like Lee and I are really excited because these lava cakes are just, it's like these unbelievable lava cakes and then these chocolate-covered strawberries. And, like, and, and they're good for a bit, and then they're like, I'm thirsty. And then by the end, it's like they're melting, melting down completely, and we're like, we're supposed to be Sabbathing! This is supposed to be worship. And you go, yeah, well, welcome to reality. But, but then it would be easy for me to go, you know what, it's too hard right now. 
Like, th- this is the ultimate life for, for any of us. It's just really hard in this stage of my life. Talk to anyone in every stage, and guess what? It does not somehow magically, oh, this is the stage. Now everything's perfect. Oh, man, now it's really easy to actually embark on a life that is changed by the way of Jesus. Now, because at every stage, if you're in school, what are you? You're busy, and you have lots of things going on. You have to fight for this. If you're in university, and you're like, well, when I get a job, then I'll establish this rhythm of seven. No, start it now. And you're like, well, when I finally meet a partner, then I can Sabbath with that person. You go, no, do it now. Well, when we finally have kids, then we can do it as a family, feast together. No, do it now. This is tendency to just think at some point I will do that. At some point I'll actually make the day holy. But in the meantime, we live our life profaning it and missing out on the beauty. And can you imagine if we were the kind of community that honestly we're trying to walk that out together? And in stumbling, we're like, how'd that go? Not great this week, but I'm moving towards. And it's beginning to shape, and it's beginning to change, and I'm beginning to notice a different difference. I want you to know pastorally, for Lee and I, we want more for you. We don't want you just to settle into a rhythm where you play church or play Christian and just kind of show up and do the things you're supposed to do. We want you to discover the kind of life that God actually designed for us. We want to embrace Sabbath because we know that life is hard and when we have a day every single week where we're reminded of God's goodness and faithfulness, even when it's difficult, we're able to handle what we have going on because we understand who he is. We want more than just settling for understanding concepts and not applying them to our lives. And I want you to know, I want you to understand that ultimately that the Sabbath is not the end goal, it's a means to an end. It's a way for us to cultivate a spirit of worship in all the days of our life. By setting aside one day to stop and rest and delight and worship, it changes how we live the rest of our days. Suddenly, the the end of the week comes and we're going, okay, Sabbath is coming. I can stop. I can rest. I can delight. I can worship. And then the week starts and we're fueled by understanding who God is and what he has done for us and this community that we are part of and we begin to live differently. Cultivating this kind of life, a life that is set apart, a life where we actually embrace setting aside holy space, a holy day, a holy environment, for us to actually embrace that, I want you to know is uncommon. It's uncommon outside of the church because there's this degree that people go, wait, what do you do? That seems super strange, but can I just let you know, it's also uncommon inside of the church. That when we actually go, I'm going to fight for remembering the Sabbath, keeping this day holy, focusing all my attention and my my heart toward God, that is uncommon. And yet I wonder as we navigate the scenario that we're currently in in 2023, if it's exactly what we need. The world around us does not need to see more people that look exactly like them. They need to see people that actually look like Jesus. A different kind of way, a countercultural way. And so we are invited with every single moment to embrace the way of Jesus. Not just put up our hands and say, Yeah, I guess I kind of believe in him, but put up our hands and say, I'm in. And I'll go where you're leading me. And I'll pattern and model my life after how you actually live. This is the invitation for 
us. And I want you to know that my aim is not to guilt trip you into anything, where it's like, if you do all of this, then now I'll love you. Pastorally, you'll be of value. There's none of that. What I want to communicate to you is, one, there's a vision for it, and two, it is of utter significance. It's actually of life or death significance. Moses, Moses speaks about this, and there's all sorts of arguments in the church where it's like, is Sabbath binding or is it not binding? And, and honestly, there are people that love Jesus that sit on either side. But I said in a previous week, you also go, binding or not, it's a better way to live. Like, it's a better rhythm that God actually designed into creation at the core, and you might look at it and go, it's, it's not a binding commitment, but it is one of the Ten Commandments. 30% of the commandments is devoted to Sabbath. It's significant. And so Moses is saying of the commandments in Deuteronomy, I set before you life or death. Choose this day. Keeping the Sabbath is arguably as important as not lying or killing. It is of life and death importance. Look around you. Pay attention to all the things that are happening in the world, all the data that you're hearing around people's levels of happiness and contentment and mental health struggles. And it's, it's not good. So this experiment of living our life our own way, guess what? It's failing. Because what happens is we have more freedom than ever before. We can do anything we want to do, be whoever we want to be, and we have the lowest rates of satisfaction than ever before and the highest rates of depression anxiety, we see massive amounts of people taking their own lives. And I look at that and go, is it possible? Is it possible that we are trying to live our life outside of the grain of all of reality as God designed it to be and finding that it does not work? And so for us, the invitation here is to, is to look at this, the lies that the world offers us and say, this is not life as it should be. Our culture is killing itself through overwork, overconsumption, overactivity. There's an author named Neil Postman, and he says that we are amusing ourselves to death. It's so fascinating when you look at, at studies from the 60s, and they're going, we're going to have so much time, and we're going to have so much time for leisure, and all we've done is we've filled it with more and more distraction and more stuff, and it's killing us. It is harming us. And so we have, a, we have a choice. See, we can't control everything. I know some of us in the room that are control freaks are like, I, I would like to try. We can't control everything, but we can control how we actually pattern our lives. We can control what we put our effort and energy into. We can control the things that we do. We can control the rhythms of our life. And I would suggest to you that few things are more desperately needed than recovering the ancient practice of Sabbath. The Sabbath, this process of creating space to stop, rest, delight, and worship is, is also a way that we enter into what Jesus called the kingdom or the reign of God. It's a day when, when things, we, we, we realign ourselves and see things as they should be and, and we fix our eyes on what God is creating and we invite his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. There's this beautiful thing that theologians talk about with, with Sabbath that, 
that it, it moves us forward and back in time. It's this really interesting thing because what happens is we live from this aftertaste of the Garden of Eden, life as it should be. And so there's this little glimpse of it through Sabbath that we go, this is what life is supposed to be. Walking with God, close to God, knowing that he's there. And it's also a foretaste of the new Jerusalem. Life as it is meant to be, as it will be with God. It bridges the gap for us. It's a little glimpse, a little taste of eternity and the hope that we have. In fact, there are people that talk about Sabbath as practicing for eternity. Abraham Heschel says this, unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath while still in this world, unless one is initiated into the appreciation of eternal life, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. The essence of the world to come is Sabbath eternal, and the seventh day in time is an example of eternity. And so when we practice Sabbath, we practice for eternity with God. And what makes Sabbath isn't good food it's not fun things. It's not great company where you're with your family or your friends, though all of those things are great. What makes Sabbath is the communion we have, the time we have with the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we commune with the Trinity in loving Trinitarian community where we go, this is life as it should be. It's the reminder for us that we, are, that we see God at the center of every single thing, and we realign our lives to recognize that God is what and who we desire most in the world. And what can happen in our lives is we have all sorts of aches. We have all sorts of things that, that draw us, and we feel like, I, I want this, and I need this, and this will satisfy my, de my desires, and then I'll be good. But we misdiagnose those things. We feel this ache in our lives. All of us have areas that we think, if I can just do enough, be enough, if I can make enough, then I'll suddenly feel good. And what we don't realize is that every single one of those things is pointing to our deepest, most, most centered desire for God himself, the creator of the universe. And so we can try to fill all sorts of things and go, well, I'm just going to be more mindful or I'm just going to rest a little bit or I'm just going to try this thing or do this or if I can just get a little bit more successful. And God himself, the creator of the universe is saying, yeah, yeah, come to me. Jesus is saying, come to me and I will give you real rest. I'll give you what you actually desire, me, not all the other stuff. The creator of the universe beckons us closer because he actually wants to be in, in loving and, and, and dangerous communication and relationship with us where it costs us everything that we don't actually need and gives us everything that we actually deeply desire. I listened to someone, they were talking about our desires and they were saying that your strongest desire is not your deepest desire. We have things that we strongly desire, but our deepest desire is for God the Father to tell us who we are, to remind us who he is. And the Sabbath allows us to create space to do that. Last week, I talked about delight. And one of the challenges of talking about delight in the sermon is that we can turn it into something that it was never meant to be. We can hear that and go, we are supposed to delight. Tyler talked about pleasure stacking and doing things that, that are amazing on one day. And we can turn what are really beautiful, good ideas into a parody. The enemy of our soul would love for us to take something that's good and then twist it into something else. 
And so in a hedonistic, pleasure-seeking culture that we're in, we can see this as an invitation to just seek all the pleasure that we can possibly find. If I can just do all the things that give me pleasure, then I will be satisfied. And we confuse that with a day where God is at the very center of everything that we do and we are, we are overcome by joy because of who God is and what he invites us to delight into. And instead, we can settle for just self-centered pleasure. And I don't want that for us. I want us to delight, but I want us to delight in the things that actually make us more and more shaped to be like Jesus, that, that actually cause us to be realigned and refocused on who God is. Anyone who's ever experienced true delight in the creator of the universe knows that there's a difference between joy and just trying to make your body feel good. You don't walk away from pleasure just, just trying to satisfy your own stuff feeling this eternal gratitude or profound gratitude, you just walk away wanting more pleasure. And so I don't want that for us. There are things that God invites us to take pleasure in that he designs, but I don't want the end goal to just make ourselves feel better and just to seek more and more things that make us just feel more pleasure. Instead, what, what I want for us is to discover holy delight in the things that God delights in as we delight in them. And there's a kind of holy delight that is virtually indistinguishable from worship. Dan Allender has a book on Sabbath, and he says it like this, For six days I wrestle with a world under the toil of the curse, soiled by the oil of humanity's commerce, deeply longing for the bright wings of the coming dawn. And each day, at best, is a repletion of the day before. Unless the next day is the Sabbath. It is the queen of all days, the day in which division, destitution, and death are put aside to celebrate our union with God, the abundance of his love, and the wild hope of the coming kingdom. It is a day of holy fiction, a day when the promise of God is fulfilled on a stage where you write the script and take the roles we most want to act for his glory. In other words, Sabbath is a day for worship. There's a social critic named uh, David Foster Wallace, and he had a commencement speech, and he, he, he wrestled with faith and had times that he was, he was not a Christian, and then, and, and, but wrestled with these ideas of worship, and he was talking about worship, and he said this, and it's so helpful for us, anytime we can hear someone that doesn't know God, that is speaking to the very ache that we see. We have answers for those questions, but he's talking about worship, and he says, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everyone worships. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship, and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need even more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Look, 
The insidious things about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day. Here you have someone that would not think all the things that we think, believe all the things, but are saying things that are deeply, deeply challenging for each one of us, certainly that would call ourselves followers of the way of Jesus. Because he's asking a question that we need to be consistently asking, not do you worship, but who or what are you worshiping? Who or what are you actually worshiping in your life? And if you become who or what you worship, if you become formed into that kind of person, what kind of person are you being formed into? Because the truth is you will worship something. We will all worship something. We will orient our life around something. We'll put our faith, our hope, and love onto something. We'll aim to find our identity or community or sense of meaning and purpose in something. And you'll pursue it. You'll even sacrifice for it. You'll discipline your life for it. But the question is, what will that be? And no matter how good or noble a pursuit is, the moment we elevate a created thing above the place that is deserved for the creator of the universe, we will immediately ruin that thing and in the process ruin ourselves. Nothing can bear the weight of our worship other than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is why we set aside the Sabbath as a day for worship. Because all week long, all these false idols try to lure us into something lesser and they overpromise and underdeliver. We're sold all sorts of goods, and we think, okay, if I just get this thing or do this thing, if my identity's found in this thing, then everything will be okay. But we find ourselves at the end of it weary and empty. It's like this gravitational pull toward dysfunction. And the whole time, the God of the universe is drawing us closer and inviting us to live life as we could be. On the Sabbath, we come back to what really matters. The Quakers call it our center, holy center in God. And this is that point deep within those of us that have been baptized, that, that our soul is, is close to Jesus, that we are with him and in him, where our, our spirit is in communion with his spirit, where we draw on the life and heart of the very Trinity and give our life back in return. This is where we actually put our life as it should be, our priorities as it should be, our surrender as it should be, where we put Jesus at the center, God as our Lord, and align our lives in light of that. And so Sabbath gives us a significant step in that direction, and it helps create and carve out space to do that, to create a day of worship that changes our lives. And as we conclude the series, there, there's, there can be this tendency of going, yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds good, I think. And, and, and then what happens is we settle into a rhythm that, like David Foster Wallace talks about, is more unconscious than conscious, where we just kind of go, you know what, it's just life happens and life gets busy. And for those of us that follow the way of Jesus, we're, we're invited to, to choose differently, to begin to prioritize the things that actually matter, to model our lives after not just the words of Jesus, but also the way of 
Jesus. And maybe today is an opportunity to do so. I want you just to picture for a moment in a world that is hurried and distracted and overworked and underfulfilled, can you imagine what it would look like to have a church full of people that are unhurried, that walk in step with God, that set aside specific time to stop, rest, delight, and worship? Can you imagine what people around us would experience if the church became a place where we were being formed consistently every single week to become people of joy and peace, people that are marked by the fruit of the Spirit? Can you imagine in a, in a culture around us that is searching for something that they don't really even know, they just know it's not working, if they actually experienced a bunch of Christians that look different? We are invited not to look like everyone else and not to pattern our lives like we're told. We're invited to look at Jesus as his apprentices and say, I want to be with you. I want to do what you did. I want to I shape my life differently. Imagine if we actually every single week set aside 24 hours to stop, rest, delight, and worship. It would change your life, and I believe wholeheartedly it would change the lives of people around us. So the stakes are significant. The stakes are significant for us individually. The stakes are even more significant for the friends and family that we have in our orbit. And I want you to know that more than just a series, we want to become the kind of people that actually pattern our lives after the way of Jesus. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, Find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.